0: Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. To the extent that the Old Testament repeatedly hammers the worship of idols, it's understandable why so many are quick to dismiss its relevance. These days, most people understand that the many statues of the ancient gods are just statues, hunks of stone fashioned and shaped to reflect the human imagination. In Paul's own words, we all know that there is no such thing as an idol. But if we all know that this is true, Paul continues, why do the Corinthians persist in the worship of idols? In the Bible, idolatry pertains not just to power, but to the power we give ourselves through our loyalties. We choose to follow people and ideas that we believe will benefit us. When someone looks at the person or object they choose to follow, they see their needs and wants fulfilled. Likewise, when someone looks at an idol in the absence of a written text, all they can hear is the faint echo of their own ego. For the biblical writers, to gaze affectionately at a statue is to join Narcissus by the pool, staring into the abyss of our own Reflection. So powerful and attractive is this hoax that we eagerly give authority to people and things that are ultimately harmful. We look to a strong man and feel strong because we trust that he will smash our enemies. We look to our captor and feel safe because we decide that following him is our safest bet. We even delude ourselves that such a person is our friend. That's why, in the Old Testament, the people of Israel repeatedly chase after other kings and other gods. It's also why, when confronted with Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, the chief priests, with the elders and scribes and the whole council, look not to Scripture, but to Caesar for justice. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. You're listening to the Bible as Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos, And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 204 of the Bible as Literature podcast. We have come, Richard, to chapter 15 in the Gospel of Mark. We've seen the progression of Jesus's ministry, sowing the seed, the betrayal at the hands of those closest to him. And now finally in chapter 15, as we reach the apex of the book, Jesus is being put on trial. And at this crucial juncture, the central question once again is the central question of Paul's letters, which is authority and power. Paul in his letters establishes a very clear hierarchy modeled after the Roman household. And there's clear authority. The central question in chapter 15 is who holds the power? Is it Caesar? Is it the chief priests? Is it Jesus? Who holds the power? Is it Pontius Pilate? The power that we're talking about is the power of of the Father, the power of his will, which is vested in the teaching.
1: Jesus attacks the question of the truth. The problem with this is that we like to think that there is this truth out there that exists on its own, and it's just for human beings to identify it when they see it. And that's not how Jesus functions. For Jesus, if Pilate says something, it carries the authority of caesar but if scripture says something it carries the authority of scripture even if caesar were to say something that was true the only way you would know it was true is if it jives with scripture because scripture has the actual authority we want to speak truth to power people say that they think the emphasis is on truth but in fact the emphasis is on we because they have to put themselves in the position of power before they can make that statement. We recognize that the one who speaks truth has to have a certain authority, and Jesus will only recognize truth if it comes from one authority, and that's it. Everything in Scripture depends
0: on where the power and the authority is vested. Paul prefers the Roman system, but he's not interested in expanding Roman society. He's interested in using the components of that culture that resonate with the agenda of Scripture, where God is the head of the household, and the paterfamilias functions as Jesus in chapter 15. Imagine a head who wields the authority necessary to run the household, but is controlled by another will. That's what we're talking about in the Bible. Early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and scribes and the whole council immediately held a consultation and binding Jesus, they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. They're not looking to Leviticus to understand what to do in this situation. They're going to the Roman authorities. Well,
1: that's exactly what I was going to say. The chief priests the elders and the scribes and the whole council, and they need to go to the Roman authority? It's
0: 1 Corinthians. Who do they
1: recognize as the authority? They have scripture. They have all the power that would be given to them by scripture, but they submit all of that power to the one Caesar. In 1 Corinthians,
0: you have the word of God, and the word of God tells you in every dispute that you should lose to your neighbor. So why are you going to the authorities? Why don't you just read scripture which tells you when you're having a squabble to let the other guy win?
1: We all know that in the previous section, they're concocting a story in order to get Jesus. So once they somehow succeeded with their concocted story to get Jesus, they realize they can't punish Jesus, so they have to concoct a way to punish Jesus. They see Jesus as the actual authority, and that's why they have to spend all of their energy to eliminate him. Even if they go against their own principles that they think that they have, they go against the authority that's oppressing them and submit to him just for the sake of killing the one, eliminating the one who would sow some kind of doubt in their own power and authority. And this is what they're protecting
0: Pilate questioned him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, it is as you say. But there's a problem with this translation, isn't there, Dr. Benton?
1: Well, in Greek, it actually says, you are saying it. It emphasizes the pronoun, you are the one saying it. I'll believe it when I hear from scripture. And he knows scripture does say it. But when it comes from your mouth, it's only Caesar saying it. I don't recognize it. And this is where Jesus really draws a firm line between himself and all these authorities, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, and the entire council, who all think, oh, but, but, but Caesar said it. He said, ah, you said it. Okay, that's what you're saying. That's what they say. Jesus knows what scripture says. And so if someone out there is saying it, who cares? It's like when my kids are upset because someone insults them at school. I say, well, are they right? If they're right, thank them and change your ways. If they're wrong, they're idiots. You don't have to listen to them. Why get upset? Either Pilate is speaking something that can be confirmed by Scripture or can't be confirmed by Scripture. Jesus already knows Scripture, so who cares what Pilate says? The message is the message
0: that Jesus delivered to the chief priests in the previous chapter. Anyone who obeys Torah is a son of the Most High and is blessed, which means the authority is invested in the son of the Torah. It's invested in the Torah, which begets him. It's clear as day, but if you're lazy and you're not reading scripture, your mind can't accept this fact because the authority of scripture isn't real because you're not grappling with scripture. It doesn't work in abstraction. You can't take the word scripture and make it a component of your theology. You'll never get it. So we have to pay close attention. The chief priests began to accuse him harshly. This is just an extension of their basic stance in the betrayal, that they're going to do whatever they can to throw Jesus under the bus because Wantonly, Richard, like Israel of old in the prophets, they look to the king of foreign cities and to his gods as their authority, and they forsake the God of Abraham because they don't trust him. They forsook him in their asking for Saul as a king. Interestingly, Paul's name before he was called to be the apostle to the nations was Saul and he was an abuser. I talk about this in my book. So the people here are asking for Caesar. They're asking to be abused. It's like the Stockholm syndrome. Your mind gets reformatted by the person who's oppressing you. So you give yourself over to them. It's a sycophancy that's very destructive.
1: The chief priests had tried this before. They tried to have their own court hearing, but they couldn't actually put together a coherent story with the witnesses. So since that didn't work, they're gonna go to Pilate and have him work this out. So what is it about Jesus that they have to do everything they can, even something that failed before, they're gonna try it again just for the sake of destroying Jesus. When they hold authority, they can't hold Jesus's teaching at the same time. Jesus' teaching is that you have to give up your authority once you have this authority. You cannot, as you said, follow God's teaching without giving up your own power. So the chief priests have a choice. Keep their power and reject Scripture or accept Scripture and accept submission and give up their power. So everything that they do shows that they have to hold on to their power. So I want the listener to to beware, you have power now. Jesus is not compatible with that power. You need to make a decision, not in your heart, but in your actions, if you actually want to follow Jesus and not to make a mockery of your profession.
0: The deeper point about idolatry in scripture has nothing to do with statues and depictions of strange creatures, as we read about in Ezekiel. The deeper point about idolatry is that you see your reflection in those images. Idolatry as a phenomenon is self-worship because you give power to an abuser like Caesar or the king of Assyria or whichever God you want to follow after because you see something for yourself in that power. That's why the scriptural God demands that you lose everything, because then we know that you are not worshiping yourself by clinging to him. It's a very serious matter. That's why modern Christianity is a rejection of the Bible, because there isn't a church on your block in your town where they're not selling something. Scripture has nothing to sell. It only offers you the truth, which is that the world is a place full of evil and abuse and cruelty, and you have a choice to make. Are you going to submit to the will of the Father, which is our bulwark against this cruelty and this destruction, or are you going to give yourself to it for your own benefit? So whether you have Stockholm Syndrome and you're turning to Caesar as your authority instead of the Torah, or whether you are a modern citizen of a democracy who feels really good about yourself talking about the we versus the he, you're both guilty of the same sin ultimately, because for you, all roads lead back to you. So for all of you who like to make fun of the Old Testament and, well, we don't worship other gods and we don't worship statues anymore, why do we need to read this? With all due respect, just turn on their cable news network. It doesn't matter which network, turn it on, and behold the gods sparring with each other. Then Pilate questioned him again, saying, do you not answer? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer. So Pilate was amazed. Of course he's not going to answer. Not because he's trying to prove a point Or he just is not going to defend himself because he's a wimp? No. For all of you who worship weakness, you don't understand scripture either. Because how can you have a Roman household if everybody's a wimp? Give me a break. The point is that Jesus knows who is in charge. And this, I find, even in secular life as a corporate professional, Richard, is a skill set that is lost on many the one who can truly be an effective alpha in professional life knows how to be an effective beta. But Americans are taught that everybody should be an alpha. This is incorrect. How can you lead if you don't know how to follow? The reason you should follow Jesus as the king is because he's demonstrated that he can follow with humility the will of his father.
1: Jesus already answered, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, when he said, I am and you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. He answered. He said his thing. Caesar and the chief priests, they all want him to say something else. Jesus isn't a puppet on a string. You aren't going to make him talk for your sake because this is all for Caesar's and the chief priest's sake. He did say one thing to Caesar. You are saying it. That's it. He acknowledged the truth of the fact that Pilate was talking and words were coming out of his mouth. That was the only answer that Jesus had for Caesar. That was the only thing he would recognize. And the amazement that Pilate had was seeing someone with such power that he didn't even have to respond to religious or secular authorities.
0: That's the beauty. Jesus, in your eyes, has no power, but like scripture in the previous section, he's controlling the whole situation, and he doesn't even have to open his mouth. Thanks very much, Dr. Bulton. Thank you, Father.
1: You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.